0: Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like minded, having the same love being of one accord of one mind let nothing be done through strife or vainglory but in lowliness of mind let each esteem each other better than themselves look not every man on his own things but every man also on the things of others The if which begins verse 1 is not the if of condition. This is not a conditional clause. You will find that many times Paul uses if as an argument rather than a condition. Therefore, it would be more accurate to translate this verse as, Since there is consolation in Christ, and since there is comfort of love, and since there is the fellowship of the Spirit, and since there are bowels and mercy, Now in view of all this, Paul says, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Paul is simply saying here for the Philippian believers to love each other as Christ loves them and to walk in harmony with each other, to walk in unity. He says for them to be of one mind. In other words, let the mind of Christ be in you. And he says that if they do these things, they will fulfill his joy. Then he says in verse three, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. The one danger which threatened the Philippian church was that of disunity. This is the danger of every healthy church. Now, what are the causes of disunity? There are at least three causes of disunity. Number one, self-ambition. This is when a person worked not to advance the work, but to advance his or herself. Number two, personal prestige. This is one who loves to be admired, respected, to have a platform seat, to have one's opinion sought, to be known by name and appearance, even to be flattered. And then number three, concentration on self, concentration on self only means elimination of others. Those who only think about themselves only and their desires, their wants seeks only to advance themselves and not the lives of others. In verse 3, Paul speaks against self-ambition and personal prestige. In verse 4, he speaks against concentration on self only. He says in verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Now, there are two key words in this verse. Also And others. Paul was not telling the Philippian believers that it was wrong to desire better things for them and their families. He was just simply saying, yes, you know, seek to advance yourself and your family, but don't stop there. Also, also seek to advance your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the other key word is others. That is an an important word. Others is the key to this passage. It is the Christian faith which first made that word others important. Why did Jesus come from heaven's glory to this earth and took on the form of flesh, suffered and was crucified on the cross? It was for Others, why should we declare the gospel of Jesus Christ for others that others might hear and believe and receive eternal life? Listen, to think of others rather than ourselves is having the mind of Christ. All right, let's look at verses 5 through 11. that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is an awesome passage. He shows the Philippian believers very vividly here that the mind and heart of Jesus Christ. Now look at what he says here. Number one, Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Number two, but made of himself no reputation, which means literally to empty. Jesus gave up willingly the glory of divinity in order to become a man. He emptied himself of his deity to take upon himself his humanity. John's Gospels uh, shows this picture very vividly. John 1 and 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it goes on to say, The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then it goes, drop down to verse 14, and it says, And the Word was made flesh. Listen, He loved glory and came all the way down to the earth to take on the form of flesh. And then He says, And took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he did what? He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now what do we see here? What do we see here? We see here two great characteristics humility and obedience. Two great characteristics of Jesus humility and obedience. His leaving glory and taking on the form of flesh was the greatest measure of humility. And he was obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. He was totally obedient to the father. He said in the garden, not my will, but your will be done. And because of this, because of his humility and total obedience to the father, God, the father has highly exalted him. The supreme purpose of God, the father is that Jesus Christ be glorified in the earth as he is in heaven and he has given him a name which is above every name that at the name of jesus every knee should bow now this deals with the lordship of jesus everyone will not come to him and receive salvation but everyone will recognize whether here in this life or in hell that he is indeed lord then he says that every tongue should confess that jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father The whole world will know sooner or later and will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul tells the Philippian believers that in light of our great example, Jesus Christ, let his mind be in you. Walk in humility. Walk in total obedience to God. Don't seek to satisfy a self-ambition. Forget about personal prestige and concentrate on others instead of just thinking about yourself. And remember that all glory belong to god verses 12 through 18 well for my beloved As ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world." holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain neither labored in vain yea and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith I joy and rejoice with you all for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me now we see clearly here in verse number 12, that the Philippian church loved God. They were an obedient church in the presence of Paul as well as in his absence. Even while Paul was in prison, they continued to do the things that was right. He praises them first and then he gives them instructions. The first instructions he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, there must be a continual spiritual progress. We are not to be victims of the same habits and slaves of the same temptations and guilty of the same failures. But the Christian life must be a continual Progress, And we must do it with fear and trembling. Now, this is not the fear and trembling of a slave cringing before his master, nor fear and trembling at the prospect of punishment. But it is recognizing that we are powerless, that we are nothing without him. It is the thing that drives us to seek him in the certainty that without his help, we can do nothing. Fear and trembling also consists of an horror of grieving God. We don't want to let him down. We don't want to displease him. And why? Because we love and we adore and we reverence him. Listen, don't stop halfway. Go on until the work of salvation is fully wrought out in you. Then he says, for it is God which working in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Listen, God's action cannot be frustrated, nor can it remain half finished. It must be fully effective. And in order for this to take place, we must participate. We have a responsibility to put on the mind of Christ and to walk in total obedience to his will. And then he gives the second instruction. He says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. In other words, do all things without complaining and without arguing, without causing confusion, without questionings. Why? Why? so that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. In other words, so that the world can view you as blameless, having a life that is above reproach, finding no fault in you, so that the world can view you harmless, meaning unmixed, unadulterated, a separated life from the world, so that the world can view you as the sons of God, you are without rebuke, Or without reproach, shining very brightly as lights in the midst of this crooked and perverse world. Then he says, Holding forth the word of life. In other words, being true representatives of God's word, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, knowing that all my labor at Philippi was not in vain. Then he says this in verses 17 and 18. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Paul was perfectly willing to make... His life a sacrifice to God, in other words, he was willing to die for the sake of Christ. And if that happened to him, it would be all joy. And he calls on them not to mourn at the prospect, but rather to rejoice. To him, every call to sacrifice and to toil was a call to his love for Christ. And therefore, he met it not with, with regret and complaint, but with joy. Hallelujah. Look at verses 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. For but ye know the proof of him that, as a son with the father, he had served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Now Paul didn't know when he would be released from prison, so he decides to send Timothy to the Philippian believers to see how things were with them. And then he honors the man of God. He says, out of all his fellow workers of the gospel, Timothy was the most trusted. He shared the same exact vision of Paul. He was Paul's right-hand man. While all other preachers, or most of the other preachers, were seeking self-ambition, personal prestige, and total concentration on themselves, trying to advance themselves instead of the work of Christ, Timothy had the same mind as Paul, which was the mind of Christ. And he loved the people of God. Timothy was Paul's son in the faith and Paul lets them know that it was his desire to send Timothy to them shortly and also that he would come to see them. All right, let's look at verses 25 through 30. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you a my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death. But God, the word but is a connective word, but God. We see one situation, but on the other hand, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have a sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him down for the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him down for in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me." When the Philippian believers heard that Paul was in prison, they were moved with compassion and sent a gift to him by the hand of Epidiotis. They couldn't do it personally because of the distance, so they delegated uh, Epidiotis to do it for them. Not only did they intend for him to bring their gift to Paul, but also for him to stay there in Rome and to be Paul's personal attendant, in other words, to care for Paul. And it is clearly shown that uh, Epidotus was a brave man full of boldness for anyone who proposed to offer himself as the personal attendant of a man awaiting trial on a capital charge was putting himself in the position of possibly being charged with the same charge. In reality, Epidotus risked his life to serve Paul. While in Rome though, Epaphroditus became very sick and almost died. But God, who is rich in mercy, spared his life and in the process also spared Paul even more sorrow. But Paul knew that it was time for Epaphroditus to go back home. And it is believed that he was the one who brought this letter of Paul back to the Philippian believers. But that was a problem. The Philippian church had sent Epaphroditus to stay with Paul. And if he was to return home, there would be some among them that would say that Epaphroditus was a quitter. So here Paul gives the Philippian church a wonderful report concerning Epaphroditus to silence any possible criticism of his return. And in his testimony concerning Epaphroditus, every word was carefully chosen. He says that Epaphroditus was his brother, his fellow worker, and his fellow soldier, your messenger who took good care of me in my time of need. Paul urges the church members at Philippi to welcome Epaphroditus appropriately with the honor due him. Epaphroditus had risked his life for Paul, but he had also done it because of his love for the Philippian church. He endured sickness near to death for their sakes.